Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 8 and read down through verse 11 as our text this morning. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. Let me pause just a minute and fill in the blanks on the who, the they, and the she are. Uh, Israel's getting ready to cross over the, over the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. The first obstacle that they will face is the city of Jericho. Jericho is a walled city, it's a strong city, and it is going to be their biggest challenge as they enter into the land of Canaan. And so Joshua sends two spies ahead. That is the they of this verse. They have entered into the land of Canaan, into the city of Jericho, and immediately there's someone tips the king off that they are there, and he puts out uh, APB on them, and they're trying to capture them. And there is a lady there by the name of Rahab. Rahab, um, her occupation is not a... Uh, good occupation. It is one in which she literally sells herself to make a living. Not, probably not one that she probably chose, uh, but one that was thrust upon her because of uh, her economic situation or her family situation or whatever had gone on in her life. She found it necessary to enter into this occupation. And so as a, as a harlot, as the Bible says, a prostitute, she sees these men and she brings them into her house to hide them from the king. And so that is the she of this verse. So Rahab is hiding the two spies. And in verse 9, Rahab said to the men, the two spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The focus that I want you to see this morning is particularly in verse 10. We have heard. And I want to preach to you on the power of a God story. The power of a God story. As we think about that term and that phrase, what is a God story? A God story is a living breathing experience of God at work in your life. It's just as simple as that. It is God at work in your life. And I am glad to say that God is at work in our lives. Jesus said, my father works hitherto and I work. God is always at work. Even when what we see his work, we may not like his work, we may not like the way he's going about it, we may not approve of it, He is God. And the power of a God story is found in the fact that God is the one who is writing the story, not you and I. I suspect most of us, if we look back over our lives, would probably change some things. But if we commit our page to God's pen, then we surrender and we submit to what he chooses to do. And so this is the God story. It is an active, living testimony of God's work in our life. Who has a God story? Well, anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior has experienced a God story. They have experienced God at work. Anyone who's been saved from sin and born into the family of God has a God story. Who can have a God story? Well, anyone can. 
that is willing to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There are those who are looking for something. They're, they're trying to find something that will satisfy. They're looking for something that will complete their story. And I want you to know that the greatest thing that you need is not salvation from your circumstances. The greatest thing that any person needs is salvation from our sinfulness and from our sin. You see, a lot of times we offer the gospel as this, as this elixir as this magical medicine that's going to somehow cure all our problems. And let me tell you that living the Christian life and following Christ is an amazing story to be a part of, but that is not the primary work that God does. God's greatest story in our lives is that he has saved us from our sins. And the greatest miracle is that Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's a God story. That Jesus came into this world and lived for 33 perfect years and went to the cross and died for our sins and three days later rose from the dead and died and rose again for our salvation. That's, the, that's a God story and that's the God story that you can have this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, I'm not saying are you a member of a church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. You can be baptized so many times that the tadpoles know your social security number and that won't get you into heaven. What will get you into heaven is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you've experienced that God story. The Bible's full of God stories, and immediately our minds, of course, go to the big ones. We think about, we think about maybe Mary Magdalene, a woman possessed of the devil, her life ruined by sin, under the complete control of spirits. And yet, when she encounters Jesus, she walks away with a God story. Think about Nicodemus on the other end of the spectrum. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Nicodemus is not filled with the devil. Nicodemus is filled with self-righteousness. He is a self-righteous Pharisee that has obeyed the law and knows the law. And yet Jesus says to him, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And here's a good self-righteous man who encounters Jesus and comes away with a God story. Probably one of the most powerful God stories in Scripture is the story of Saul of Tarsus persecutor of the church, enemy of Christ. And yet when he encounters Jesus, the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus, he is dramatically and radically changed. And he walks away with a God story. The Bible is filled with not just those big names that we know, but those that we don't know. And every one of them reminds us that they come from different backgrounds. There's rich, there's poor, there's men, there's women, there's Jew, there's Gentile, there's self-righteous, and there's unrighteous. And all of these are brought together by the one need for the gospel of Jesus Christ and an encounter with God. As we look at this story this morning, the nation of Israel had experienced many God stories. Many things that God had done in their life. They had been brought out of Egypt. They had been brought into Egypt. It's interesting. Let me just pause there a minute. It's interesting that we often think about God's work in the nation of Israel beginning with them being brought out of Egypt, but we forget that it was God that brought them into 400 years of slavery in Egypt to start with. He was preserving life. He was bringing them to Egypt. And yes, they suffered for 400 years, but that was a part of God's story in their life as well. And then they've been brought out of Egypt, and God has provided food and water and clothing. Day after day, they have experienced the work of God in their lives. They've been given water from the rock. They've been given bread from heaven. They've had clothes and shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years. 
God had met all their needs and they'd experienced these things. Rahab and the people of Jericho have heard some of those stories. I mean, this has been 40 years. It doesn't take 40 years for stories to get around. Can I get an amen on that? I sometimes hear things that I think I hear before they happen. Have y'all, you know, y'all know the guy? Yeah. I'm not going to point any fingers or name any names, but it's, it's, just, it's just living in living anywhere. So I say it's living in the country, but it's not just the country. It's just everywhere. So for 40 years, these stories, and Rahab and the people of Jericho have heard these stories. They've gotten around, and they've heard what God has done. As we look at these verses, verse 10 and verse 11 this morning, I want to draw your attention to the power of a God story. Where is the power of it? First of all, the power of a God story is seen in the content of it. What is the story that is told? Let me just, before I say all this that I'm going to say about this, and we'll see it from the text, it all focuses on God. Our stories that we often like to tell, and sometimes even our testimonies, end up being about us. This is, this is what I've done. We, we humble brag. Well, I'm not going to brag. Heaven knows I'm not that kind of a person, but let me tell you what I did this week. We, we try to, we know that we're not supposed to be proud, and we tell the stories. I've heard, I've heard Christians, I've heard preachers, um, you know, I've heard one preacher at one time, and it's like every story he told, he was the hero of his story. And I heard another preacher commenting on it, and he said, I would just like to be the hero of one of my stories. <laughs> These are God-centered stories. These point us to God. But what does God do? I want you to see, first of all, a God story is what God has done for us. Notice what she says in verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water. We know this is what God is doing. There are some things happening in your life that it is clear that only God could have done. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for a spirit of revival in our church as we look forward to our revival services in just a few weeks. And, and Michael Clower comes to speak the word. And we're going to be still and hear what God has to say to us. We're going to come apart from this world for those services. And we're going to turn out, tune out the distractions to hear what God is going to say to us. But I'm praying that God will stir our hearts in revival. But I am praying for God to do Lazarus kind of miracles. I'm praying for God to do Lazarus kind of things. What is a Lazarus? A Lazarus kind of miracle is a miracle that is so big, it is something so clear that only God could have done it. You see, you can have a revival service or you can have a church service and you can fill an auditorium, but that doesn't mean God did it. Nothing wrong. We want people to come. We want you to be here for Sunday morning. We want you to be here for the, for the revival services, any services that we have. We want you to come. But look, you can, you can bring the circus to town and fill an auditorium. I'm talking about things that's clear that when it happens, only God can, only God can save a sinner. Only God can radically transform a life. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're seeking God to do, to do something that when anybody looks at it, they can say, only God could have done that. He said, she said, God dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. We heard about that. We've heard what God is doing. A God story is the action that God has taken on behalf of his people. 
It's something that only he could have done. He's the center of the story. He's the hero. He's the protagonist. He's the, he's the focus. When it comes to God's work in our lives, we have nothing to boast of. What does God do in our lives? Well, one thing God does in our lives is what we call common grace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. There are some things that God does for every single person who has ever been born. Whether they're a believer or not, whether they're saved or not, God has done those things for them. We all get the blessings of the sun shining, and we all get the blessings of plants and food growing because of the rain. We all get the blessings of of breath. Someone told me one time, they said, "Uh, God's never done anything for me. I said, say that one more time. They said, I said, God's never done anything for me. I said, the very breath that you used to say those words, to speak those words out, was a gift from God. If you think God's never done anything for you, then hold your breath and see how long you last. The book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 25, Paul said he gives all life and breath and all things. The things that we get to enjoy, the sunshine, the rain, air to breathe. I think probably one of the greatest demonstrations that I know, maybe the clearest in all of creation that is common grace is Krispy Kreme donuts. You don't have to be a believer to believe, to to benefit and enjoy from what God clearly gave to some person to share with us. Now, only when the hot sign's on. After that, it's not, it's just donuts. It's not common grace. You see what I'm saying? It's blessings that we all get to enjoy that every person, and you know what we need to do? We need to remind ourselves and we need to remind others that those are gifts from God. Those are blessings from God. I drove in this morning and through the the buildings of Dunn and through the trees, I I can see on Sunday mornings the sun starting to come up. And that sunrise is gorgeous. Even with all the man-made things blocking the view, That's a gift from God. That's the joy of getting to see God's creation. And you don't have to be a believer. You don't have to have been converted and been saved by grace to experience that grace. What an opportunity we have to tell others and remind others that is the one who gives us life and breath and all things. The common grace of God. But not just the common grace of God, but there's the converting grace that we have experienced that takes us beyond just what every person gets to experience, and that is the work of grace in our life that brings us to salvation and saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved. That moment in your life when even before you had trusted Christ, that God began to work in your heart and you heard the gospel, or you sensed that need for something, and the Holy Spirit began to draw your heart and began to draw you to that need and help you to understand that. And the work of God in Rahab's heart, that when she heard those stories, before she ever met anyone from Israel, before she ever read one word of the law of God, God was beginning to draw her and help her understand something, some truths about God. And God begins to work in our heart. God works in us through grace long before we trust him as our Savior. 
And he brings us to that place of salvation, and it is all by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we are saved by that grace. Aren't you glad for the day when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and by his grace, the gift of salvation was given? That's a, that's a God story. You see, that's what, that's what makes people are looking for miracles, and let me tell you, Nothing ever exceeds the miracle of salvation. That a God who is holy and just and righteous and pure could, would redeem a lost sinner like me. That's powerful. That's a miracle. That's what makes, that's what gives us grace. That's what helps us to understand when a loved one that is a believer goes to heaven. You see, God, God heals in three different ways. There are times when we pray for healing. God sometimes heals by miracle, where God just miraculously brings healing to a person. And often that's what we're praying for, but that's not always the story that God writes, is it? We pray for that miracle. I've heard just in the past week or so two different accounts of people who prayed for someone and God brought physical healing to the person that they prayed for. I'm glad for the times God does that, but God does not always do that. Sometimes God will heal medically. He'll give doctors wisdom and insight and understanding to know how to treat, and he uses the gifts and abilities that he has given to them and they've learned to be able to share, and God brings a healing through medicine. But then sometimes God heals by moving us to heaven. God takes us to heaven. We'll, and here's what we'll generally say. Well, God didn't choose to do a miracle. Let me tell you something. The fact that when I die, I get to immediately be in the presence of the Lord, that is the greatest miracle that you can ever imagine. So don't say God didn't do a miracle. God did the greatest miracle when he takes us to heaven. But we understand that because we understand the work that God does, the miracle of God converting us and saving us. Now, there are those who will think, you know, I, I just don't have a very good salvation testimony because we've sort of got the idea that the great testimonies are that, you know, there's that guy that, <laughs> there's that guy that was living over there and he was doing drugs and he was drinking and he was partying and he was carousing and he, was, he had murdered a few people and he'd done all this wicked stuff and God saved him. What a powerful testimony. And we get the idea, if you're like me, that was saved as a child, I don't have much of a testimony to share. I don't have a lot to tell. I didn't do a whole lot of wicked things as a child. I was raised in church. I was in church nearly every night of my life until I was out of high school. I just didn't do a whole lot of bad things. I might have smoked a crayon here or there. <laughs> Snorted some sweet and low one time, but other than that, that's pretty much about it. I wasn't a wicked person. But let me tell you that it takes as much of the grace of God to save a child as it does a convicted murderer. Why? Because we're all saved the same way. It's not about how wicked we were. It's about the grace of God that saves us. And we have a testimony. You see, our testimonies have tended to focus on what was on the outside, but every one of us has a testimony of what God has done for us on the inside. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got a God story. Every person who has trusted in Christ has been redeemed, regenerated, justified, sanctified, and one day will be glorified. 
And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then like the worst sinner in the world, you can sing the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe, safe am I. Love lifted me. That's the converting grace of God, and that is what God has done in our lives. If you're glad that he has done that for you, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad. It's time for us to be glad about what God has done. Now, some of us have got to work on letting our hearts tell our faces how glad we are. But God has done great things. There's, there's common grace that we all experience. There's converting grace that takes place at salvation, but there is a continuing grace of God that is at work in our lives from now till the end. He who I am persuaded that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James chapter 1, verse 17. Those are the blessings that God continues. Look, the blessings of God and the work of God in my life did not end that day when I bowed my head and trusted Christ as my Savior. That was just the beginning of the good work that will one day be completed when I am glorified. But in between, there's a whole lot of grace going on. And God is at work. God is doing it. Every time we come together and we worship, as we just a moment ago, as we heard these songs sung and we worshiped God together and we hear the scriptures and we pray together, that is the grace of God at work in our life. And every time you open up the word of God and you pray and you spend time with God and you experience a personal, real relationship with him, that is the grace of God at work in your life. And when God hears and answers our prayers and God is clearly doing things in our life and sanctifying us and making us holy and he is meeting needs and he is caring for us and he is working through us. That is the grace of God at work in our life and that is a part of our God story. Your God story is not finished and will not be finished until the day of redemption, to the day of Jesus Christ. That is that continuing grace. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed that the believers in Ephesus would listen to this, know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power unto us who believed. How long has it been since God done something so amazing in your life that you just had to tell somebody about it? I'm not talking about bragging on yourself. I'm not talking about making yourself the hero of the story. I'm talking about showing Christ. Show us Christ. Tell what good things the Lord has done. The second thing that she noticed in this God story, here's the power of it. It's not just what God has done in us, but what God is doing through us. She said, we also heard in verse 10, what you did to the two kings. You see, it wasn't just what God was doing in them. It was what God was doing through them. It was God empowering them to do something that they were not capable of doing themselves. They were not military geniuses. They were not great warriors. And yet, God at work in them was accomplishing things that they could not do themselves. And that is how God works through us. God is not only working on us, he will work through us. And he will do the things that we are not capable of doing. This is our testimony. This is our our spiritual reputation. This is what God is doing through us. Do people see us as 
what we claim to be? Or do we say one thing on Sunday morning and act differently through the week? This is what this is talking about. It wasn't just, hey, I saw what God did for you. I saw how God saved you. It was, I see the life that you're living. I see what you're accomplishing and you're doing for God. Let me tell you that if you teach a Sunday school class, if you pray, if you sing in the choir, if you serve in any capacity, if you do any good deeds in this life through the week, through not just on Sunday mornings, you do any of that, it is for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is point attention to the God who is writing the story. That's our purpose. That's our goal is that he gets the glory. This world is filled with people who are seeking attention. We've got politicians who are all they can think about is themselves. It's like the old, great old country song filled with gospel theology. I want to talk about me. Some of y'all remember that song. Some of you remember, but you won't admit that you know it at all. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. Lynn used to listen to country music. That's why I know it. <laughs> but you know why that song resonated with so many people? Because that's what we encounter. We, we won't focus on ourselves, but no, no, listen to me. What God is doing in our lives is about him. And you may look at your story where you are right now, and you may be at the point where you don't like the way the story's going. Ever watched a movie or read a book and you got to the point and you're like, man, the things don't look too good for the hero. Things don't look too good for the heroine. Things don't look too good. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But you get to the end and it turns out well. Let me tell you that the way our story ends, no matter what chapter we're in right at the moment, the story turns out well because God is the one who writes our story. The power of a God story. Let me close with this. Before I get to my final thought, let me, let me just give you this. Because a lot of times people will say, I'm really struggling right now to see God at work in my life. I'm not ex- I don't feel like I'm experiencing God. And I do believe that, look, my relationship with God is real. It's not just something I talk about. When we come together, we're not just a bunch of people gathering together to sing some songs. We are here to worship a real God who exists. We're, when we pray, we're talking to God. When I read the word of God, I'm hearing God speak to me. Show us Christ through his word. That's God speaking. I hear people say all the time, you know, boy, I sure wish God would speak to me. You want God to speak to you? Open up the Bible. Read the Bible. Well, I want him to speak to me out loud. Read it out loud. <laughs> the Word of God, this is, this is not just reading a, an ancient holy text. This is reading words that were inspired by God. And so I'm experiencing that, and I feel, but there's times where we don't feel that. Let me give you quickly three things that will help you with that. Number one, look around. Look around. You, God's at work. You may just not be noticing it. God's not doing anything in my life. What we mean is God's not doing what I want God to do in my life. God's always at work around us. Look for the blessings. Look for the blessings in your family. Look for the blessings in friends. Look for the blessings in our church. Look for the blessings in your life. Just take a breath and remember that God gave you that breath. Look for the things. Look around. See what God is doing. Number two, look within. 
Sometimes I'm not experiencing and real clear on what God is doing because I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. There's sin in my heart or my life, and I'm, I'm hindering the work of God in my life, and I'm, I'm not able to see what God... I'm, I'm struggling against God's pen writing my story. And there may be need some change in me. Number three, look above, because whatever's happening around you, God has not changed. He is the unchanging God, and he's the one that we look to and we trust, and we'll see that there is a God story. I want you to see something in closing this morning. Look at the end of verse 11. If Rahab stops halfway through this verse, she has knowledge and she has a form of faith, but she does not have saving faith. She simply has a fearful faith, a faith that believes we're about to get beat. We're about to lose our nation. We're about to lose our city. Israel's going to take this land because we've seen what they can do if she stops there. But out of her mouth comes one of the most powerful statements of faith in the Word of God. And it is unlikely, first of all, because of her occupation. This is not a likely person to give a powerful faith statement. It is unlikely because of her ethnicity, her, her nationality. She is not a, she's not part of God's people, the nation of Israel. She is a Canaanite, and she has been taught and raised to worship Baal and Ashtaroth and a whole host of other gods. And then because, to be quite honest, in that culture, you didn't hear a lot of public statements from women. There's not a lot of... They, just, they, they weren't given a voice. And here is a lady who is a, a prostitute, who is a Canaanite, who is a false God-worshipping heathen. And one of the most powerful statements come out because of the consequences of a God story. She not only heard what God had done, but God used what he was doing in and through Israel to touch her heart. And I want you to see this statement of faith that she gives. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. If we're not careful, we'll pass right over that. But I want you to notice, first of all, she uses the covenant name of God. In the word Lord, all the letters are capitalized. This is Jehovah. This is the covenant name, the all-powerful name of God. That she is saying it's not, the, it's not Baal. This is an absolute rejection of the gods that she has been taught to worship. And she is saying they are not God. Jehovah, the Lord, is God. And then she says something very interesting because in that culture they believed in place gods, the God of the ocean, the God of the mountains, the God of the sea, the God of this, the God of that. She said, he's God in heaven above, and he's God on earth. In other words, he's the God of everywhere. He's the God on the mountain, and he's the God in the valley. This is a powerful statement and a clear statement that she is believing and trusting in the God of Israel. And how does it happen? It happens not because of the testimony of the two spies, not because she saw something in their life, but because of what she had heard and knew that God had done in the life of Israel. I want God to be so clear in his work in my life. 
I want God to be so powerful in his work in my life, not that I'll get glory, but that those around me will see how great God is and they will be drawn to faith and deeper faith in God because of his work in and through my life. And when that happens, that's the power of a God story. We could go further with this, but if you know the rest of the story, you know that Rahab marries a man in the nation of Israel. They have a son by the name of Boaz who shows up a little bit later in the book of Ruth. And she is one of several women who are included in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogies of Jesus Christ. Specifically mentioned, why? I firmly believe it's because she didn't just marry into the right line. She put her faith in the right place. And God not only had a story for Israel, but God had a story for Rahab. I want you to know this morning, you may feel like your life is a wreck. You may feel like there's no hope. You may feel like you've lost all purpose and all direction. I want you to know that God has a story for you. And the greatest God story that has ever been is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross to save you, to bring you into relationship with him, to have that God story. Who needs to hear your God story? Who can you share it with? Man, we got lots of ways in our day and time where we can share what God is doing in our lives. I know people that have sat down after something like this and they've written a letter to someone. They said, I just wanted to share my testimony of what God's done in my life. That's a powerful way to do it. Some people use social media. Some people get on the phone. Some people text. But the, one of the most powerful ways is to sit down and face-to-face share with someone, Look, let me, let me tell you what God has done for me. I want to share what God is doing in my life. Not in a boastful way, but in an humble way. And above all, in a joyful way. That God is at work in our lives. Aren't, aren't you glad for what God's doing in your life? Aren't you glad for the way he's in charge, that he's in control, that he's writing the story of your life? There are some of you who are in a chapter that you never, you never would have believed that you were in. You look back over the previous chapters and you say, man... But there were times I was wondering what God was doing, and now I can look back and I can see. And there's some of you that are in chapters right now, and you feel like you are lost in the middle of a storm, and you don't have a clue what the chapters ahead hold. Let me tell you that for every believer, a God story has a happy ending. What is that happy ending? That one day we will be in the presence of God. It all turns out well. You know what? I don't worry about how this world's going to end. I remember several years ago reading in the media, the headline said, Christians believe the world is ending and they're freaking out. And I thought, man, you just don't even have a clue, do you? I'm not worried about how the world's going to end. I'm not worried about all the bad things that are going on. Do Do I care about it? Sure. But it all ends good for us. Why? Because God is the one who is writing the story. And what seems, like, what seems like a bad chapter is just the prelude for what God is yet to do. What's your God story? Who do you need to share it with? In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And maybe this morning, you don't, ha- you don't have a God story. And you think, man, you th- you, that preacher's talking about special things for special people. No, this is for every single person who's ever been born because all of us have the same beginning. We are sinners We were born sinners and we sin, but all of us have the opportunity to receive 
what God has done through Jesus Christ. So this morning, maybe you need to come and find out more about trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. There may be someone that needs to come and just kneel before God and say, God, I'm giving you my story. I don't understand what's happening right now. I don't necessarily like what's happening right now, but as we heard preached recently on Romans 8, 28, I'm glad that you are working all things together for my good. Maybe there's someone here that God's put somebody in your heart that you need to share your testimony with, that you need to tell hey, God did this in my life. This is what God is doing in my life. God can use it to do amazing things. But whatever God may speak to your heart about, I want to invite you to come and just kneel for a time of prayer. But beyond that, I want you to go out of this place and I want you to find some way to share your God story. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, thank you for the power of what you do in our lives, both in us and through us, thank you that you can use it to touch a heart like Rahab's where you can touch those around us. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to share our stories in such a way that you will get glory, not us. But, Lord, share them in such a way that the Holy Spirit can take them and use them as a tool of the gospel to help others see you. May we show Christ. Father, I pray for this morning for those who are going through challenging chapters. May they understand that you are writing their story and that the God of the heavens is the God of the earth. The God of the mountains is the God of the valley. We trust you to write and write well. Speak to our hearts, Father, we pray in Jesus.